Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojournal Podcast is brought to you by the Alumni Association at Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today we're joined in the Sojournal Podcast by 1973 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, David Wheeler. David, welcome to the Sojournal Podcast. Hey, thanks. And you didn't welcome those of us who graduated from the School of the Evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite think you're that old, but I appreciate that nostalgia right there. Uh, to get started, would you mind giving a general introduction of yourself to those who are listening in today? Well, I am old. I'm 70 years old, graduated from Johnson, as you said, in 73, Married to Kathy for 48 and a half years. Have two daughters, both married. They have given us five delightful grandchildren. Uh, Taught at Johnson for 24 years, just retired in June. And uh, now the two of us are focusing on a move of the Spirit of God focused on intentional Christian grandparenting. Well, that sounds interesting. I'm sure we'll get into that some as we yeah. get going through the podcast. But today we want to talk about your journey. Uh, I want to get a background. You know, who is David Wheeler? So tell me about where you were born, where you grew up, uh, what early faith life was like for you. Mm-hmm. I was a preacher's kid. My dad uh, and mom both graduated from Johnson. Our whole family are Johnson people. I was born over in Harriman, Tennessee, where my dad was preaching after he graduated from here in '47. Uh, so he had ministries where I grew up in Harriman, Tennessee, West Frankfort, Illinois, and Ironton, Ohio. While we were at Ironton, where I graduated from high school, oh, when I was about 15, I went forward and you know committed my life to full-time Christian service, as we said back in those days. And I didn't know there were any other colleges other than Johnson. By that time, my dad was a trustee. Uh, he was one of the trustees who uh, selected Dr. Eubanks to be oh. the president of Johnson. So I was down here at Johnson all the time. Dad came to trustee meetings. My earliest memories of life are Johnson's campus, playing around the White House lawn, the smell of those incredible shrubs around the White House, (laughs) and the smell of the old gym (laughs) up on the hill. Uh Those are two of my earliest memories. So I came to Johnson. I had some friends going to one of our great sister schools, Milligan. Mm -hmm. But my dad was a trustee, so I got better scholarship help coming to Johnson. So I came here in 69, had four wonderful years here at Johnson. My uh, faith life was I went to church because I was the preacher's kid every time the church doors were open. Mm -hmm. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning church, junior church, whatever. Sunday night church, Sunday night youth group when I was old enough. Wednesday night Bible study, which was my dad and mom, 18 old ladies and me. Two weeks of VBS every summer. Went to a week at church camp every summer. A week of revival every fall. A week of revival every spring. The church was just my life. Mm. Uh, but I still didn't have a great understanding of grace mm. and salvation. It was, I grew up still pretty much in 50s and 60s, and it was kind of like just obey the rules. One of the little lines you heard was, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with girls who do. 
But And I thought it was a good list, bad list thing. Uh-huh. You know, if your good list was longer when you died, you went to heaven. If your bad list was longer, you went to hell. It was, but some of that changed when I came to Johnson. Mm. So you said you were born in Harriman? Yeah. You were born Harriman. Yeah. Harriman, Tennessee, West Frankfort, Illinois, Ironton, Ohio. Okay, so yeah. how old were you when you went to West Frankfort? I was in kindergarten. In kindergarten. And yeah. then how about when you went from West Frankfort to Ironton? Fourth grade. Fourth grade. I was in Ironton for fourth grade till I went to college. At what point in that journey as you were growing up did you start to latch on to faith? Or was it not until you got to Johnson that you really latched on? Well, faith itself, I mean, when you're a kid, you have a problem believing in God mm. or that Jesus is his son. I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. It was more of, uh, well, you're the preacher's kid. You're 11. It's about time to join the club. You don't want to go to hell, do you? <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, for the level of faith that you have at that age of 11, you know, mm-hmm. I was responding in faith, probably more motivated by love, or by, by fear or duty mm. rather than love and an understanding of what Christ had done for me. That was at age 11. Around age 14, 15, I, as I said, went forward and gave my life to full-time Christian service. And remember laying in the bed that night after I came over that service in the top bunk, hugging my Bible, thinking, wow, what have I just done? Mm. Uh, because when I said full-time Christian service, all I knew was preacher. Mm. Uh, there wasn't a sense of mission to be a missionary church musician and i didn't want to be a preacher my dad was a preacher and he had to wear ties all the time and suits and <laughs> the 60s were exploding and i didn't want to go into a job where i had to wear suits and ties all the time mm. but i'd seen enough of my dad's life of service and ministry to know this is a significant way to spend your life serving god but there still wasn't this strong sense that i wanted to be a preacher but i didn't know what other options were out there so i came to johnson anyway and figured well, I'll figure it out while I'm here. Mm. You said that you grew up more in a attitude of fear, uh, maybe legalistic mm-hmm. uh, adherence. Where did that understanding come from? I mean, oh, that was, was the I, I think part of that was church it? life in America. Just keep keep the rules. It was generally that way. Yeah, you in know, churches. don't go to movie on Sundays. Right. Uh, some of these were probably my parents' rules. You don't play pinball machines. That's gambling. I still snuck off to the bus station with a pocket full of nickels and played some, praying Jesus wouldn't come back while I was playing the pinball machine. And if they Isn't that amazing? Yeah. How over time, you know, certain things that we would see as, you know, this is this is just too much. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the, that was the culture of the of the time. I mean, America was a pretty good place, fifties and sixties. And there wasn't much doubt. If you were growing up in a Christian family, going to church, there wasn't much doubt you were going to become a Christian. Mm. That was just the culture. You had prayer and Bible study in the schools. I mean, there wasn't animosity. The media was Mm. pretty much on board with Christianity. Everybody, buses on the highway said, attend the church of your choice this Sunday. And that all changed there then in the second half of the 60s, where suddenly it wasn't a given that Mm. if you just took your kid to church every Sunday, they're going to grow up and be a a Christian and a good citizen. Mm. Suddenly the media, the cult, popular culture was shifting, music, everything was changing. And suddenly it, it just was, it was a different world. And uh, it wasn't just about keeping the rules. People were asking some pretty, actually some very good questions, but they were very threatening at that time mm. uh, to faith. So you said your dad was a graduate of Johnson. Yep. Uh, mom. Yep. Uh, what about grandparents? I mean, how far back does your family go? Uh, as far as Johnson, it was mom, dad, my brother, and myself. Okay. But, uh, 
Uh, what about Christianity in your family? Oh, yeah. Well, way back, raised in the buckle of the Bible Belt, Central Illinois, Vincennes, Indiana. Just So, yeah, faith, the faith tradition in our family is very long. The ministry tradition isn't all that long. Okay. So it started with your dad. I imagine being a preacher's kid, you got to see some things that were good about the church, but also maybe some things that were not so yeah, good. Yeah, when you're the preacher's kid, you see the underbelly. You know, you kind of see behind the curtain a bit. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I love being a preacher's kid. Love growing up in the church. Love going over and playing hide and seek in the sanctuary during the week because mm-hmm. <laughs> you you could get in the church building. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 there wasn't that negative. Boy, this has been a bad thing being a preacher's kid. I, I understand why that can be for some people, mm-hmm. but it sure wasn't for me. I retired and turned 70 last summer in 2021. And at that point, I had lived in parsonages or provided housing mm-hmm. uh, for 70 years. Wow. Kath and I are living in the first house we've owned in 48 <laughs> years of marriage. And and I don't resent having grown up in parsonages. People talked about the glass fishbowl effect. Everybody's watching you. It was okay with me. It was mm. just fine. So how many siblings do you have? Just my brother. Would the podcast listeners know your brother's name? Uh, Dennis. Uh, he was in ministry for quite a few years, and right now he's working for the state of Ohio uh, and, and doing a, a work for the for the state that is just neat. Liaison with seniors groups in the state of Ohio. Huh. He was created to do what he's doing right now. Oh, is that right? And he loves it. Doing it. <laughs> That's great. So you ultimately chose to come to Johnson because your dad was heavily, obviously, influenced by Johnson. Mm-hmm. He was a trustee of Johnson. It just made sense for you right. to come here. I love Johnson. I know professors there. I know people, and it's in the Smokies, so it was pretty much a no-brainer for me. You came and just enrolled in ministry? Yeah. I, as I recall, I mean, we were school about 220 uh-huh. in 1969, and as I recall, you could study ministry, uh, missions, church, uh, music, or Christian education. That was about about it as far as the offense. Now, I came in 69, right after Dr. Eubanks became the president, and he had immediately started the process of accreditation. Hmm. And so that changed very quickly. But for the most part, while we were here, those were the four four directions you could go. So I signed up for ministry and thought, well, let's see what happens here. What do you remember about your time here? It was, it was a fun four years. I just loved it. Hardly anybody had cars, so you spent your life on campus. And for those of you acquainted with the Johnson campus, you remember the main campus was just up on the hill. And I realized walking around the campus one day, Kath and I take, took a lot of walks when we lived here, that for four years, for the most part, the entire campus community lived within 200 yards of each other. Mm. I mean, you, the chapel, dining hall, classroom, they were all right there on the hill. And there were only 220 of us or so. So you just, the, the connections with everybody, you ate family style for lunch and supper every day, went to chapel five days a week. Or we were just together constantly. So the, the connections, the entire, you knew everybody on campus. Mm. And our alumni base was so small that you almost knew all the alumni <laughs> of Johnson. Uh, so there was a, a great connection there. I have great memories of the friendships that were formed that continue to this day. Our class was especially close. We've been getting together every five years, and we have a huge turnout. I mean, we love being together. <laughs> a good connection. As far as uh, academics, I, I didn't shine. I didn't know how to study. High school hadn't taught me how to study. 
Uh, so I struggled with some of that, especially my freshman year. But there were three primary impacts that Johnson had on me. I think almost all three of them had to do with the singing group, The New Encounter. Hmm. When we came here in 1969 and 1970, Wilbur and Linda Reed, and probably the larger leadership at Johnson, decided we needed a more contemporary group uh, to reach out to recruit students to come to Johnson. We still had our tour choir. I was in tour choir, traveled every spring for a week. It was a more formal presentation. So they put together a singing group called The New Encounter. And the first year, it seems like there were maybe 11 of us. I, I only got in that group because I had the only drum set on campus. You know, <laughs> drums were, there weren't many drums in church services in 1969-70. And I had a red sparkle drum set. My mom and dad, when I took up drums in sixth grade, said, what? What are you going to do with drums? You know, learn piano or at least guitar, something practical. But I stuck with drums because drummers are cool. <laughs> and uh, so Do I'm drummers get all the girls, Dave? Well, it <laughs> didn't work for me, but I, was, I still convinced myself I was cool. And uh, so came to Johnson with my drum set, and it just sat over in the old Irwin Library in a little room over there. I'd go over and play it. Hmm. When they put the group together, Don Sewell's on piano, Mike Persifield, my brother-in-law now, played bass guitar and they needed a drummer, and I had the only drum set. So I got in by default. <laughs> and uh, for the next two school years, about two out of every three weekends, we traveled. And wow. then we traveled for eight or nine weeks for two different summers that I traveled with them, to church camp to church camp. And uh, three wonderful things came out of that connection, in addition to all my larger Johnson experience. First being that I discovered grace, what grace was all about. Hmm. Those two summers, you're going to church camp to church camp, which means you're hearing a sermon every Sunday, but you're also hearing sermons five nights a week at church camp, what mm -hmm. we used to call the Vesper services. All right. Great communicators. And suddenly it was like I'd been watching a movie that was out of focus. And it was like during those two summers, God reached down and turned the focus knob and brought the picture into focus. Hmm. And suddenly I discovered, oh, this is about grace. And, and that whole revelation. I mean, I went through a personal revival there about years 18 and 19 of my life. Begin to really understand what this was all about rather than just attend church, keep the rules, keep your nose clean. And I fell in love with Jesus, mm. uh, not just church and church attendance and church involvement. I fell in love with him. So the second good thing that came out of that was Kathy was in that group because she does have a good singing voice. <laughs> and we traveled for those two summers and you're in a van Sometimes eight, ten, twelve hours a day traveling to all these places, so you just have a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, we fell in love with each other. She graduated a year ahead of me. I stayed single till I graduated from college, and then we got married two weeks after I graduated. So I am eternally grateful for the singing group because her first impressions of me were not good, and that's a whole separate podcast. Why is that? Oh, I'm such a nerd, but I, I thought it was going to be the coolest thing to hit Johnson's campus with my paisley pants and my love beads <laughs> and my turtlenecks and everything. And at about eight weeks here, I discovered I'm the biggest nerd on this campus. <laughs> so you'll have, you'll have to ask her to tell you the story. My singing in chapel, for the they had a little freshman talent night to introduce the freshmen, but I had a lot to overcome that would not have overcome if we hadn't been traveling enough in the singing group that she could see another side of me. So uh, so I fell in love with Jesus because of that singing group huh. uh, and all the travel. I fell in love with Kathy because of the new encounter. 
And then I also got exposed to a new kind of ministry that was just being invented during the very years I was at Johnson called youth ministry. There hadn't been, I'd never had a youth ministry. You had Christian education directors and associate ministers, but I'd never heard of a youth minister. But all those weeks of church camps, I was meeting these wonderfully creative, energetic, new creations called youth ministers. Doug Fraley, who was one of our first youth ministers up at First Christian Canton, things like that. And these guys were cool. They didn't have to wear ties. All right, I can, I can maybe do this. And I just saw what they were doing, and I had a heart for that. So even though we didn't have a degree in youth ministry at Johnson, that's what I decided. I think that's, there was for the first time, a sense of call hmm. that God says, hey, you, I, the gifts I've given you, David, are going to fit perfect with this new ministry vision called youth ministry. So I said, okay, and uh, didn't know much about it. When it was time to graduate, spring of 73, I thought, well, I guess I ought to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm getting ready to graduate and get married. I probably ought to have a job or uh-huh. a ministry. Uh-huh. And uh, in those days, we just posted you know, churches seeking ministers on a bulletin board up in uh, the administration area. And there was a church in Kingsport, Tennessee, looking for a youth minister. So uh, about four weeks before I graduated, I went and interviewed. And uh, what a great church. What a great group of people. I don't know how patient they were, mm. but they hired me. So I uh, graduated two weeks later, got married, went on about a four-day honeymoon till we got down to about $5 <laughs> and decided, okay, honeymoon's over. And we drove on up to Kingsport, moved into the little parsonage in the church parking lot and started ministry. Um, I want to ask you something else about your time in New Encounter. I think our podcast guests might like to know about you running around with a pie. Yeah, Linda Reed is still mad at me about this, (laughs) by the way, because Wilbur and Linda, we traveled in two vans that second summer and pulled a travel trailer. I think we had the trailer both summers, if I remember correctly. And they stayed in the trailer with their two sons. And she could cook stuff while we were traveling. And uh, she had some pies baking. I don't know if they were cooking the trailer while they were driving down the highway, but we pulled over at a rest stop somewhere. My whole life was just pay attention to me. Look at me. It's Mm -hmm. all about me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was feeling goofy that day. And she brought these pies out. I forget what kind it was. Uh, It seems like it was a custard pie, but I'm not sure. And I don't even like pie. At that point, I didn't like pies. And so I grabbed up the pie and acted like nobody's going to get this pie but me. And a couple of the guys were chasing me around this parking lot at this rest stop along the interstate. And I was running down a hill, and at the bottom of it was a culvert. And when you're running full speed down the hill and suddenly have to start running up a hill, the laws of physics don't cooperate. And, man, I fell flat on my face. And it sailed like a Frisbee out into the parking lot, landed perfectly flat and splayed out across the parking lot in a beautiful fan-like pattern. <laughs> and, oh, man, I've never seen so many people mad at me in my life. But, so, Linda Reed, if you're listening to this podcast, please, please forgive me. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, but what a delight. The community you develop in those traveling types. Of yeah. I don't know that I'd want to do that for a living, but, boy, it was sure a, good, a powerful influence for that particular period of my life. Mm. You know, what I appreciate about that story is it just illustrates, you know, who you were to who you became. Oh, yeah. yeah. God, if God, those of you listening, God can use an idiot like me. There's, <laughs> there's hope for you as well. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so you went to Kingsport, the first Christian in Kingsport, to mm-hmm. do youth ministry. Now, was this their first time having a youth ministry? No, they'd had several. In fact, I was really? following one of my favorite preachers in the world, was Tommy Oates. He graduated, I think, in 68, if I remember correctly. Tommy's just an incredible communicator, one of those creative minds that I know, dear friends of ours for 50 years. But I had to follow him. As he had been the youth minister there. Oh, that's terrible. Especially when I showed up and I didn't have a clue what youth ministers do. Uh-huh. I moved in the office. We moved into our little parsonage off of our honeymoon. I had about 12 inches of books to put, you know, that I had saved from my college. So I put my little 12 inches of books on the bookshelf, plugged in my electric typewriter, uh, had a little meeting with the senior minister, Max Smith, and then he went to his office and the secretary, Dot, brought me some church stationery and pens. And then she said, well, I look forward to working with you and went back to her office. And I sat there with my 12 inches of books and my electric typewriter and the doors closed. And I sat there thinking, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do now. (laughs) I've just finished four years of college, my first day on the job, and I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to be doing. I had never had a youth minister. And that was a scary revelation first day of ministry and realized, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. I knew I was going to be teaching junior church on Sunday morning and the high school Sunday school class. So I thought, well, I guess I ought to get a junior church lesson ready and a Sunday school lesson ready for the high school kids. Uh, I look back, God forgive me for (laughs) how shallow my teaching may have been in those early days. But he taught me. And then I started meeting with Tommy Oaks, Bob Robinson, Steve Schertzinger, a bunch of amazingly godly and creative people that were in East Tennessee between Milligan and Emmanuel and East Tennessee State University campus house and the churches in the area. We would get together once a month, in essence, to plan a week at camp, our high school week at camp. But we would spend quite a few hours just sharing ideas and resources and ministry ideas. And the youth ministry began to bloom then. So, you know, the learning curve was steep at that point. Mm-hmm. I had learned a lot about ministry and obviously how to study the Bible and how to communicate it at Johnson. But I started a whole second education at that point, learning how to be a youth minister and what that what that entails. It was a delightful four-year ministry at First Christian Kingsport. You know, after doing all of that growth in Kingsport, what brought you away from that? Well, there was a, a change in ministry leadership there. And about that time, I was contacted by a church up in North Central Indiana about coming up there as their youth minister. So for a wide variety of reasons, uh, we accepted that ministry and moved up to a little farming town of a thousand people called Converse, Indiana. Little blinking red light downtown <laughs> was the most action going on in that little farming town. <laughs> Converse, Indiana, if I recall exactly where Converse is, you're talking about somewhere between Kokomo and I-69. Yeah, Kokomo so. between Kokomo and Marion, about an hour north of Indianapolis. Okay, good. If I remember right, you were in Converse for quite some time. Yeah, I was there for 20 years. I was there uh, eight years as youth minister and delight, just amazing things happening in youth ministry. And at that time, you know, four years in Kingsport, eight years as a youth minister in Indiana, 12 years. If you In those days, if you were in youth ministry 12 years, you were one of the wizened old timers. <laughs> I mean, you were an old veteran. So I was getting to do, you know, speak at CIY conferences and the youth ministers conventions and enjoying all that. And then we had a ministry shift. And so as I jokingly say, I got demoted to real preacher (laughs) and became the then senior minister of the preacher. And I continued on for 12 more years as the preacher at the church. 
So Johnson stole you from Converse mm-hmm. because you were the wizened old. Well, youth I, uh, at that at that point, I wasn't wizened anymore. I was a wizened <laughs> youth minister, but. You know, in those days, then I was a preacher for 12 years. Well, if you're a preacher for 12 years, you're still a kid. You're still wet behind the ears. <laughs> but God God did amazing things that uh, brought amazing growth to this little church in this mm. little town of a thousand, this little farming community. And uh, I was kind of hanging on to God's coattails, flapping in the wind, because suddenly we were going from 300 to four to five. And towards the end of my time there, we were bouncing seven to 800. We'd go over a thousand. Mm. On Easter, Mother's Day, Christmas, mm. uh, we would have more in church on those days than the population of the town. It, it's just a, it's a neat story, uh-huh. and God has to get the glory. I mean, if you're the of minister, course. people think, "Wow, you're doing a good job up there." I was just hanging on, so it was a it was fun. It was a delight you know, to see all this people coming to Christ, maturing. It, it, that, that was good. So twenty years total: eight as youth, twelve as the preacher, but. I graduated in 73, and we didn't have many churches larger than 1,000. There were a handful of larger churches, but not very many. And so Johnson wasn't really talking about the kind of leadership you give in a church of that size. But when suddenly I found myself in a church in a small rural town, but it wasn't a little rural church anymore, I really wasn't prepared Hmm. for that kind of leadership. I never got the uh, class on weddings, funerals, hospital visits, that kind of stuff. Uh what the students called the Merriam and Barium class. <laughs> I never got that. But, you know, I was, I was doing all that. I was doing the hospitals and the visitations of funerals. Uh, but as it got larger, the leadership has to change. And I didn't know how to do it. The church, none of us knew how to do that. We thought we were a little country church. I was pedaling as fast as I could to keep up with all that growth and all the expectations that at that point we're raising two teenage daughters with all the demands that come with that. Mm. And uh, so basically in about 1996, 97, I just hit a wall of just burnout. Mm. Of just I, I couldn't keep up anymore. And uh, the church was very supportive. There was no animosity. After 20 years, I had elders who'd been kids in my youth group. Mm. I had dirt on my <laughs> on the elders. Oh, there was just a great relationship between staff and elders. Uh, but none of us really knew what to do. Yeah. That was the issue. Yeah. And they were supportive. They were concerned about Kathy and me and how we were doing. With all that compassion and concern, we didn't know what to do. Mm. And uh, I finally realized God had given me gifts of communication, a pastoral heart. But the kind of leadership gifts you need at that point, I didn't sense that those were present in my life. And I finally thought, I think they need a different kind of senior ministry now. Mm. Uh, beyond someone who can communicate well from the pulpit and make the visits and love the people. There's a different kind of skill set. So I thought, I think I'm going to have to leave here to make room for that person. And at that point, Johnson contacted me, primarily because of Larry Green, who was our admissions guy Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, Johnson contacted me about coming here and taking over the youth youth and children's ministry program. So I came down and interviewed and decided that was a good fit for that era of my life and my skill set, and it will allow the church in Indiana to bring in a leader with a new skill set to take them uh, Mm. further on. So I know that in your time at Converse, you learned a lot, and you have told some very interesting stories related to ministry in Converse that, you know, you've shared at Senior Saints and things like that. So Mm -hmm. 
uh, I, I'd like you to share one of those stories, just uh, like uh, the Tic Tac or whatever, you know, just yeah, share one of those stories. I actually quick. visited just last week or two weeks ago, I guess, in Florida, the, the son of the woman who was in the hospital uh, with some serious, I mean, death was on the horizon in her life with the leukemia. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I got called, you know, when they got the news of the diagnosis, they called and asked if I could come over and pray with them. The ambulance was going to come take her to Indianapolis from Tokomo. And uh, I'm always concerned about, you know, when you're in ministry and you're praying, you're very close proximity. So I always carry Tic Tacs with me. Every vehicle, every pocket has Tic Tacs. Um, spearmint green, dark green Tic Tacs. And uh, so going running into the hospital that day, I thought, the whole family, he said, was there. Um, I'm going to be right in everybody's face. And he was praying with her in the hospital bed. So I threw two Tic Tacs in my mouth. This is a two Tic Tac event. <laughs> and uh, going up in the elevator, to this day, I have no idea what I did. Coughed, hiccup. But one of those two Tic Tacs shot up that back nasal passage into my nose. <laughs> and I'm, you're going to have to excuse this for those of you that are listening, but I'm on this elevator. It's a two-story hospital, so I'm only going from floor one to floor two, and I'm on there with these two strangers, and I'm going, <laughs> you know, try, trying to shake that sucker loose, and it's kind of like a breech berth in there. It's got both <laughs> elbows out. It's not moving. And by this time, we're at the second floor. We The doors open. The two strangers exit rather quickly, and I step out in the hallway, and it's like, this is stupid. I ne- it's taken me 30 minutes to get over here from, from Converse. I need to be up there with the family. And you don't stand in the middle of a busy hospital hallway, you know, picking your nose. <laughs> so I finally just realized, well, okay, I'm the only one who knows I've got a Tic Tac stuck in my nose. So I thought, it's, go- it's okay. So I run on down the room, come in, stand by her bed. The family, there's eight or nine of them in there, gather around the bed, and I'm talking to him, asking him, what did the doctor say? What what are we praying about? And in the midst of that, the Tic Tac has dissolved through the coating, the candy coating, down to the spearmint level. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it feels like there's a little guy shooting off fireworks in my nose. And I'm trying to be pastoral and listen and absorb, but I can't keep my eyes open. I'm squinting my eyes. Little tears are running out of my eyes. I look like the most compassionate minister <laughs> you could ever have. And at that point, what I've discovered is your brain at this point kicks in and tells the nose there's some problem here and basically tells the nose to start running, (laughs) manufacture stuff to get this out of there. And so suddenly my nose is running. And so I'm listening, squinting, go get the hanky out of my pocket to wipe my nose. And when I wipe my nose in front of all these people, this dark, green <laughs> stuff is coming out of my nose onto the hanky. I'm squinting tears. And through the, the blur, I can see the whole family kind of nudging each other, looking at me, because not all these people go to my church. Some of them have never met me before. And they're looking at each other rather strangely. So I finally have to say, look, I'm sorry. Uh, I've got a Tic Tac stuck in my nose. <laughs> and uh, you could tell those the ones that didn't know me very well were looking at my church member friends going, you invited this idiot to come over and pray for mom. I mean, he didn't even know where to stick a Tic Tac. <laughs> but we had a good laugh. It kind of cleared the air, relieved some of the tension. Uh, we prayed and the ambulance came. Uh, but what I discovered was a great truth. You know, you put a Tic Tac in your mouth to, to make your breath smell good. If you put it in your nose 
everybody's breath smells good. <laughs> <laughs> it works a lot better. Better stewardship. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so oh, much for so going down that detour. Stories. You get a bunch of preachers together. Ask them to tell hospital, funeral, wedding stories, and, and your, your day is going to be full. Baptism stories. Uh, <laughs> ministry is a very unique calling. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, so you were called down to Johnson then, and uh, you were called to lead the youth ministry, children's ministry, classes, courses, like yeah. be the primary professor yeah, I for those. that specialty. Taught most of the classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd have to have an adjunct every now and then that taught most of those classes, and several other classes. I was supposed to be half professor, half campus minister, mm-hmm. but they actually have professors two classes a semester, I actually, for most of my early years here, taught three classes a semester and still was the campus minister in charge of four or five chapel things a week, uh, several other ministries as campus minister. So it was a busy time, but it was just such a different, totally different lifestyle than in ministry. In ministry, you never feel like you're done. Every time you go home, you think of something else. That sermon needs another three or four hours. A couple of visits I should make, a phone call. And the wonderful thing about being a professor is Two times a year, you're done. You turn in your grades, and everything that's expected of you has been accomplished. That was a very cathartic feeling. Twice a year, I got to sit down and go, hey, I'm done. And in the process, you're impacting, well, over my, I've been here 24 years, thousands of students. It is a delight to be impacting seven, 800 lives in a small town in Indiana. This has been a delight impacting thousands of lives. That's the joy of this era of our lives is the contact we have with students who were here and seeing what God's doing both to them and through them Mm. in the years since we left Johnson. In your experience at Johnson, uh, I know that you have had a lot of opportunities to develop a variety of skills and use the resources God's entrusted to you. So you've been involved in uh, church leadership classes and church leadership Mm -hmm. seminars here. You've done workshops for homecoming or led homecoming in in some main sessions. You've uh, led workshops and main sessions with senior saints. You've gotten involved in a lot of movies uh, that were produced here. I I was his go-to star for a lot of those (laughs) movies he made, 30,000 Leagues Under the Sea. (laughs) Mission trips, multiple mission trips. I would never have, never been a part of our lives except for the connections that happened while we were here at Johnson. Stand-up comedy with Clyde Dorkman. <laughs> I, was gonna I don't think I would Clyde have ever really gotten into stand-up comedy if it hadn't been for Senior Saints in the Smoke. Yeah, so how did, I mean, how did you even get day one with Clyde Dorkman? Whatever made you do that skit in the first place? And those of you who listen who don't know who Clyde Dorkman is, he's, he's a rock star at Senior Saints. <laughs> he's, he's had a fan club. T- Tyson was kind of the leader of the fan. We had t-shirts. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm with the Dork. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but... In the early years, I came here in 97, left Indiana to come here. And uh, Senior Saints was already going strong. That was a wonderful invention that God used Wilbur and Linda Reed again mm-hmm. to kind of start that. And uh, I, I didn't know much about Senior Saints. And I got here and thought, how come nobody ever told me about this wonderful event? There were four weeks of it back in those days. We're yeah. now down to three weeks. And though, so they always had a faculty talent night. And so Wilbur asked me, hey, why don't you just do some jokes? You know, be a... So that's all I did. I just stood up and told some jokes and told them about Dr. Eubanks or Wilbur or whoever. I decided I needed a shtick. So the next year, I acted like I was nervous. I just kind of nervous and kept saying things. I actually accidentally, during that routine, mispronounced Dr. Eubanks' name while I was acting nervous and said, Dr. Eubanks. 
Well, they howled, so that was a keeper. He's been Dr. Eubangies for years, ever since then. So then I decided, no, I need a costume. So I worked up this silly little sweater and uh, cap and everything. And so he just then I started coming up with this backstory that he lived in an apartment above the sewage treatment plant, that he was the college historian in charge of all the hysterical or historical <laughs> stuff that had happened. And so now every year Clyde shows up and gives a report at Senior Saints about what's happened in the previous year on campus. And he makes fun of Dr. Weed Eater, Dr. Smitch. Dr. Eubangies, uh, all the other people that are connected with, with Senior Saints. And I'm, tell I'm telling you, he's a rock star. It's just <laughs> been the most amazing thing. I wouldn't want to do this for a living. But for three weeks a year, I reach up in the closet and pull out the Clyde outfit. And it's fun. It's just a, one of the greatest joys of my life to get to do that. Well, see, it's not even at Senior Saints, though. Clyde Dortmund has gone national. I mean, you've had him at, uh, he's been at on a church in Georgia. Oh, right? yeah, where, several where else churches, yeah. The, the church, Corinth Christian Church, Corinth. Now, uh -huh. will have me every year uh -huh. to preach. But I think they really only do that, so I'll bring Clyde down. <laughs> uh, several other seniors' events. Uh -huh. uh, but, yeah, he's been, he's been on two Caribbean cruises, <laughs> and he's been on two Alaskan cruises. I love this guy. As part of the as part of the con yeah, or part the, of the entertainment, program. part yeah. of the part of the program. So I love this guy. I wouldn't be going on these cruises for free if it wasn't for Clyde. <laughs> it's like it. Dave. Dave's a pretty good preacher and oh. leader, but if it weren't for Clyde Dortman, that's what pretty funny. <laughs> All right. So uh, in your time at Johnson, then, uh, what are some highlights that jump out to you? What are some things that you learned, maybe about yourself or about? The, the work that's done here? Well, obviously, the older you get, the more self-understanding you have. I begin to understand how much of my, I mean, you always want to serve God. You want to bring, we always just bring a mixed bag of motives. And so you, you want to serve God. You want people to discover the love of Christ. You've got all these good motives, but then you've got these ego motives mm -hmm. and all this other junk that's mixed in with us. And the older you get, and especially during these last 24 years at Johnson before I retired, that understanding of I'm just who I am. This is this is what God has gifted me to do. The need for a lot of attention, big crowds, applause, that stuff began to die down. Just the fact that he could had used me in spite of all these flaws, sin, all these messed up things in my heart and mind. Hmm. He also saw the good in there, the good motives, the good desires. And he went ahead and used me. And that, that was just the amazing story that I got to tell the students because basically I came here to say I'm going to teach these ministry students things that I didn't learn when I was at Johnson. It was a different world back in those days. There are things they need to be prepared for now, and I want to make sure they're hearing this stuff. And so the joy of passing that on and not worrying about as much about the acclaim and all that kind of stuff, and just to be satisfied with building relationships with faculty, staff, with students, having people in our homes by the hundreds over the years, going out and serving in whatever varieties of ways, whether it was speaking or mission trips or whatever, and then coming home and taking a walk in the evening with Kathy and Toya the Wonder Dog and uh, <laughs> a great sense of just contentment, uh, amazement of what God had done to me and through me in these years. Mm -hmm. uh, just there, there was some maturing as goes on all all the way through your walk with Christ. But a lot of that took place during these last 24 years that I've been here at Johnson. Uh, how about some of the relationships that you established with your colleagues here? 
I worked at the White House the four years I was at Johnson, and so Dr. and Mrs. Eubanks, I worked for them for, uh, I think, three of the four years that I was here at the White House. So when we moved here, they felt comfortable and asked Kathy and me to help with various events at the White House. And uh, they didn't have a dishwasher in those days at the White House. So after the meal, Dr. and Mrs. Eubanks would take their guest out on that glassed-in porch that used to be at the White House, and mm-hmm. I'd start washing dishes. After a while, I'd hear him saying goodbye, and I'd see the people walking down the sidewalk to their cars. And in a minute, there he was next to me, sleeves rolled up, I'd wash, he'd dry. And I would many times sit there and think, I wonder if this is what Barnabas or some of those guys felt like sitting next to the Apostle Paul, Mm. sewing up tents. (laughs) This was just amazing that that I got to meet Dr. Eubanks, well, all the many leaders Johnson has had and so many I did know Dr. Bell because of my dad's relationship with him. Uh so many people who came through here, Wayne Shaw, that we just developed friendships with. Uh, Betty Gray or as Clyde calls her Betsy Dingy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just on and on this list could go on for the rest of this podcast of people that I met only because I came here. Probably mm-hmm. would not have been in my circle of influence if I'd stayed in Indiana. So the blessings were many. Mm-hmm. I still miss local church ministry. I mm-hmm. love, I just would preach through books of the Bible, and I don't get to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to do individual sermons when I travel. Uh, there are so many things I miss about local church ministry. It's still the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. That's the plan Jesus gave us. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed my 24 years in Kingsport and in Converse and local church ministry, and then I enjoyed 24 more years at Johnson preparing students mostly for local church ministry. So we can't uh, conclude the podcast without talking about what you're doing now in retirement because you've gotten yourself involved in even more ministry. So yeah. tell me about what's what's yeah, now going we have, on. We have five grandchildren. The oldest at, at this recording is 14 down to eight. And we love them dearly. And everybody's telling us what wonderful grandparents we were because we had them over all the time, took them on trips, went to all their dances and games and all that stuff. We thought we were we were pretty cocky. Everybody <laughs> told us, I wish I'd had grandparents like you. And then I went to a Legacy Coalition seminar called Grandparenting Matters, and it showed me Deuteronomy 4.9 that says, watch yourself, make sure you're continuing to walk with the Lord, not forgetting what you've learned with Him. So and then teach all that to your children. And there's a little three-letter word, and to your children's children, that... I'm not done with spiritual training and nurturing just because my kids have grown up and gotten married and moved away. But now my focus shifts to grandkids. Mm -hmm. And we went to that seminar just about a year and year and a half maybe before I retired. And through a too long of a weird series of events, this move of God's spirit that is now going international towards intentional Christian grandparenting through a weird series of events, Kath and I have been pulled right into the core leadership of Mm -hmm. this move of God's spirit. People always said, don't just retire from something, retire to something. Right. And I didn't really know what I was retiring to until about a year or so before I retired. And suddenly God just moved us into this amazing movement that is moving to, at this point, seven other countries. Hmm. And uh, so Kath and I present the seminar. This is all at LegacyCoalition.com. Just go to LegacyCoalition.com. But we present the six-hour seminar. We just did it at the Villages in Florida mm-hmm. about three weeks ago. I guest host the Monday night webinar, uh, Grand Monday Nights. I got to be the MC for the National Summit in Birmingham. It's just amazing to be a part of just this move. That's all I can describe it as, is a move of God's Spirit. 
basically telling grandparents, go ahead and keep doing all that other stuff. Go to the games and spoil them and do all the stuff you do. But every encounter you have with your grandkids, it's not just taking them to Dollywood. It's looking for opportunities to inject Jesus as you tell them your stories, as you read the Bible with them. Basically seeing yourself as a missionary in the lives of your grandchildren, mm. an ambassador for Christ in the lives of your grandchildren because they're growing up in a hostile environment. Well, we're not supposed to be scared, but we're very concerned about the world that our grandkids, are, in which they're growing up. And so here's this army of 30 million Christian grandparents that we're trying to equip to step in and maybe change the course of our country. So LegacyGrandParenting.com. No, Legacy Coalition. Legacy Coalition. LegacyCoalition.com. Thank you for Browse around. Look at the resources. Conversation starters. and Oh, just on and on. Just browse around. LegacyCoalition.com. That sounds great. So I can't let you go without asking you a couple more questions that I've asked of all of our podcast guests. So the first question is, over the course of your journey, what is something that you've learned that you would really want to pass on to other people? Well, motives have, has been my big, biggest self-revelation. Uh, as I said, we all bring mixed motives. And to some degree, the Bible doesn't even say it's a bad thing. You know, it says stay faithful so you won't lose your reward. Mm. Uh, God understands we come into this expecting there will be a reward. And there is a wonderful reward. But some of the motives move beyond just I want an eternal reward. It will be nice to get a paycheck to buy groceries You know, mm -hmm. uh, beyond that. For me, it was the performance thing. If, if I perform well, if I preach good sermons, teach good lessons, always show up at the hospital on time, people will like me. Mm. Well, it's not about getting them to like me. Hopefully, you know, it's, they see the Jesus in me. Maybe they fall in love with me or as, as the disciples of Christ. They, before, they, before they are interested in the doctrine, they often see the disciples. Mm. So maybe they do get attracted to us first. But at that point, you want them to move deeper and see is Christ in me is the reason for this love, joy, peace, yeah. patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, this goodness, this self-control that you see in my life. It's Jesus that's doing this. For way too many early years of my ministry, there was too much of that. I want them to see me rather than Christ in me. Mm. And I regret that. He has forgiven me for that. He went and went ahead and used me in amazing ways in spite of that. But for me, that's been one of the greatest lessons of my life's journey. So check your motives. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's good. My theme verse has been Colossians. It says, whatever you have to do, do it with all your heart as if you're doing it for the Lord. Now, sometimes I did ministry with all my heart, but it was so people would like me or we'd mm -hmm. have a successful ministry or whatever else. But whatever you have to do, do it with all your heart as if Jesus asked you to do this, as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for man. Mm, good stuff. Thank you so much for being my guest. This has been a lot of fun. I have to ask you one more question, though. I'm going to give you a moment to think about it while I do a commercial. Uh, imagine, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, the entire world is going to listen to this podcast. So you have 60 seconds to address the world. What are you going to tell the world in your 60 seconds? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojournal Podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association at Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocation. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So, Dave Wheeler, a graduate of 1973, 
a 20 plus year servant in church ministry, 20 plus more years as a servant at Johnson University, and now in leadership with Intentional Grandparenting. And that, again, website was LegacyCoalition.com. LegacyCoalition.com. What one minute message would you give to the world? Only Jesus is going to satisfy you. Mm. People are pursuing everything else out there in this world. A favorite praise course from several years ago that Kath and I loved, uh, the course that said, He's satisfied. He's satisfied. And I just love that because I didn't go the prodigal son route and just go whole hog running away from God to try all the other stuff in this world. But all of us have been, I mean, we live in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world, but we love, we're in this world. And uh, so I've sampled enough of this world to know that nothing else satisfies. He alone satisfies. And so what I would tell the world is quit pursuing. There are several verses of the Bible that say, why do you spend all this effort to pursue things that do not satisfy? Yeah. And they don't. It's all a bubble that looks so pretty, and when you grab it, it pops. Mm. It turns to sand in your mouth. And so that great lesson of, of contentment in Christ, that no matter if, if Paul said, if I'm rich or poor, all that stuff, it just doesn't matter as long as I have Christ, the bread of life. Now, if the bread of life, and he has in my life, brings a lot of jam, and he has slathered the jam on in my life, friendships, family, stories, he has slathered jam onto my slice of bread. But if you don't get any jam, the bread's enough. Mm. And if you get the bread, that's enough to satisfy you till he calls us home. Mm. Good stuff. David, thank you so much for being my guest well, today on the Citadel Podcast. Thanks for the invitation. This pleasure. has been a delight. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Tyson Chastain. Music by Loyal Love. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Tune in to other Sojournal Podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM. Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>